Amen. I want to, I want to thank the uh, children and the children's leaders, how beautiful it is to see young people in church, and it's exciting that for them to talk about uh, Jesus' love. And uh, they, they may remember this moment when they're standing here petrified watching the video to say, Jesus loves me, this I know. Uh, we're turning in our Bibles to the New Testament, so if you have your Bibles open, we're on in the Passion Week, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Before I go there, I usually do the word cloud. Uh, when you come to New Covenant Church, uh, we are unashamedly Bible-believing and uh, I wanted to encourage you to know that the Bible is centered. Uh, you'll always find an open Bible in the church. And I always like to joke that you'll find a red Bible in the, in the houses of people that go here. We want everyone to read the Word of God. For the Bible says that if you hide God's Word in your heart, you're not going to be inclined to do the sin. You won't delight to go on the wrong path when you know the right path. And as, as Psalm 19 said, thy word is, is like uh, precious jewels. Uh, it is more precious even than gold, yea, even sweeter than the honeycomb. It's really wonderful when you realize how valuable the Bible is. And uh, even though we don't worship the Bible, we, we treasure the Bible as God's revelation to us. If you're turning in your Bibles, you'll see that. But uh, the, inside the Bible and every Sunday, you'll find that we're going to take you to the cross. We're going to take you to see the good news that's found there. When you look at our cross here, every time you come into New Covenant, you're going to find an empty cross. And it's not because we lost Jesus. It's not because, uh, uh, because some confusion. No, the Bible says that Jesus died once, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to himself. In fact, in Galatians, it says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, made under the law, to redeem those who are under the curse. One time. One time. And as I was describing in Sunday school this, this very day, it was pretty amazing that God actually left heaven to come to earth. If you have the arrows up there, I wanted to show the folks. Uh, you might have seen this before, the, um, the little song. He came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave. That's not a rainbow, it's a grave. From the grave to the sky, uh, he ascended to heaven. And I, lift, I lift your name on high. But then there's one more arrow. What's that last arrow stand for? He's coming again. One of the things that Sean just prayed for is that we all want to be ready when Jesus comes. We want to know him. We want to look forward to his arrival. And that's why we don't have a dead Jesus. We don't have one hanging on a cross. We don't remember that he's still there or that we have to put him to death afresh. When we have communion today, we do not put Christ to death again. We celebrate that it's already done. He said so on the cross. To tell us die. And we'll tell you more about that on our Good Friday service this week. If you now turn in your Bibles, let's reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word, which was when it was given in the originals. Uh, and if you have your Bibles there, you're going to be able to see we're looking at the latter chapters of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. And uh, you realize Matthew 28 is where it all finishes. Uh, because that's where the Great Commission is when he sends us out after the death, burial, and resurrection. But in Matthew chapter 26, we have a text there in verse uh, 9. So if you just see there, I'll, I'll take you to verse 9, and then I'll give you the context of all of it. Matthew 26, verse 9. It's a very spiritual verse. For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. What a beautiful Palm Sunday text. Let me read it to you again with a little bit of, of, uh, of emotion. 
And I'll add the three words before this. Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. I think you understand it a little better when I read it the second time with a little emotion. Now, do you know who's saying these words? Oh, these are the big bad Jews, right? Well, they were actually Jews, but it wasn't the ones you're thinking about. Okay, and it wasn't the Romans, the big bad Romans. If you look at, we're going to go ahead and now read uh, this portion of scripture. I would like to bring, starting in verse 6 uh, of Matthew chapter 26, verse 6 and following. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Verse 8, and when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. And they were the ones that said that awful speech. Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. The text goes on, verse 10. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done something beautiful to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring out this ointment on my body, she has done, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, whenever or wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let me keep going a little further. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and he said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. And I have to continue a little more to give you the context. Now the first day of unleavened bread... The disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare to eat the Passover? Verse 18, he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher, has, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And verse 19, and the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. The context for this story is right there in the midst of the Passion Week. You know, Sunday Jesus comes to town, the Palm Sundays are being, and, and the Palms are going around, and by the way, they didn't worship on Sundays, on, on Palm Sunday. This was still, the, the Sabbath had just been finished. Those of you that have been coming to the Chosen video series, and you ought to come, it's a lot of fun to discuss these things. Uh, everything had shut down on the Sabbath, and then the Sunday they were free to travel again, and Jesus comes to town. And the parade is out there and the children are even included. There's a lot of excitement, even though a lot of people didn't know what was going on. Who is this guy? As I testified, I believe most people knew that this is the guy that rose, that had Lazarus come out of the grave. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus came. That's pretty amazing. I think the news spread faster than you could ever imagine. And since Bethany was only five miles or about five miles away from Jerusalem, I'm telling you, people in Jerusalem said, hey, that guy's here. And he showed up. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, 
Wednesday. We're here at Wednesday. They're going to be ready for the Passover on, on the preparation, which will be on Thursday. And then we have Good Friday. This is the context for the story. Let me ask God's word, or God's blessing. Lord, I pray that you will take this truth to us and help us to understand things. Lord, I pray that we might marvel at how your word works it all together for good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The title of this message is Competing with Propaganda. Competing with Propaganda. Uh, this series that I've been working on for, uh, for most of this year is a mixture. We've been going through the book of Romans backwards. Uh, we've been looking at uh, chapter 16, and now we're down to chapter 12, and we'll be picking that up as we continue on. But every, every other week, I've been trying to bring a topical message, and I've been borrowing some from Erwin Lutzer. He's a pastor over in Moody Church over in Illinois, and uh, when he wrote this book, We Will Not Be Silenced. Another pastor named David Jeremiah says, If I could, I, I wish I could put this book into the hands of every Christian in America. And they're trying to respond to some of the issues. I was looking at chapter 6, uh, in this, or chapter 5. His title is, Sell It as a Noble Cause. Sell It as a Noble Cause. Let me just give you a little context for this. Uh, in this chapter, the pastor is trying to tell the people not to be deceived. And he comes and he says, propaganda can change the direction of, of a nation. It can change the direction of your household. It can change your direction." He says, in, in George Orwell's chilling totalitarian, totalitarian state uh, in the book 1984, the year I graduated, by the way, we have a compelling description of the so-called ministry of truth using subtle, sinister language. News speak. They were going to brainwash the people. And they used to say things that were in contradiction. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. The withdrawal of individual freedoms was sold to the population as a plus. Slavery to the state was presented as the gateway to freedom and prosperity. If you just get in line, then you'll have everything you want. Conquest was sold as liberation. Everything done was always for the good of the people. Have you heard that one before? He says... Uh, Lutzer ends up quoting, I quote him, he says, I personally remember going to, to visit several of Adolf Hitler's concentration camps described as a freedom camps. And when you walk into them in, in uh, French, or excuse me, in German, it says, work sets you free. Pastor, why are you reading this stuff? This is Palm Sunday. The purpose of propaganda is to change people's perceptions of reality so that, they, that despite compelling counter-evidence, people will not change their minds. The goal is to make people impervious to the facts, scientific proof, and common sense. And of course, sometimes facts and scientific proof can be subjected to someone's interpretation. But often, obvious arguments are set aside because people believe what they want to believe, even in the face of mounting contradictory evidence. Someone has said that the ultimate goal of propaganda is that we behave like a child with a finger in each ear shouting, I don't want to hear it. He says, he quotes another guy about how this works, and this is part of the introduction. Edward Bernays, in his book Propaganda, defends the use of propaganda and the need for the intelligent manipulation of the masses. Think about that. There's people on earth who think that there needs to be intelligent manipulation of the people. 
Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government which is truly ruling. Benet's writes, we are governed, when, he says, we are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men that we have never heard of. It is they who pull the wires which control the public mind, who harness old social forces and contrive new ways to bind and to guide the world. And I'll finish with one more paragraph. Look more closely at his description. Propaganda is an unseen mechanism, an, an invisible government. It includes new ways to bind and to guide us. It controls what we think without us even knowing that we are being controlled. Wow, what a fun topic. If you look at the message today, I'm taking you to these words that were done on, I believe, the Wednesday uh, of, of Passion Week. If you have your Bibles open, you can see that the disciples had fallen into this trap. They were now doing double talk. They were speaking a different agenda. They had bought into the propaganda that somebody had taken. So if you're following along with the sermon today, it's three simple points before we have communion. The first point is notice the action. There was something key that happened. Secondly, I'm going to show you the notice the reaction. Because that first thing happened, then you're going to find that then other people saw it and they responded. And boy, it started to change new things. It's almost like a domino had fallen and now the next domino and the next. But by God's grace, I also want you to see the third point, which is the hope in this, is the transactions. Notice the transactions. There were some things going on that you might otherwise miss. And that is somehow God's purposes were still accomplished. And when you realize that Romans 8.28 still applies, even when people are successful with their propaganda, you just have to be amazed. God is still working things together for the good. To them who love God, who are the called according to his purposes. All that, Romans 8.28. Because the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Even when we don't even know how to pray, he takes us to the throne of grace. We have the access, direct access to the Father because we are already in Christ. There is no need for any other mediation. Jesus is, has access to the Father and we are in him. Now, when I walk you through this, I want to be able to first begin what actually happened. In our text, it's verses 20, or chapter 26, verses 6 and 7. I'll read it again for you. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up with an alabaster flask of, of, of expensive ointment. So the setting for this thing that happened is that Jesus is actually in the little town of Bethany. It's not far from Jerusalem. He's been coming back and forth from Jerusalem all week. He goes over to the temple, and then he'll come back, and he's spending the night uh, typically at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' place. It's also in Bethany. But he's over right now visiting this guy that was a leper. Now, do you think he's still a leper? The lepers weren't allowed to stay in the community. Literally, they were shunned. You know, if you've ever watched Ben-Hur, they do a pretty good job of trying to show you that once you had this contagious disease, it was worse than COVID. You know, you would spread it, and once you got it, your skin would be eaten up, and it would, you had a death sentence, basically. Now, Simon the leper is healed. Jesus goes to visit Simon, and it's a beautiful place to be able to go there and to be able to, to enjoy company. This is on the week of Passion. Jesus knows what's coming in a couple of days. He came to Jerusalem with his eyes focused on the task. 
He was born to save his people from their sins. He, before the, the world would begin, he was the Lamb of God who would be slain. Jesus knows what's coming, and yet he's having a nice meal with Simon the leper. Now, that's not the bad stuff. It's wonderful when people can get along, especially when they have a nice meal to eat. And that's the way it should be for us. But then there's this gal. She shows up, and everything becomes not so nice. Let's all get mad at her. You know, brace your fist. Oh, if you would have just stayed home. Do you see what I'm trying to tell you? How foolish it is for us to think that everything has to just be easy for us. Simon is there having this meal with Jesus, and this woman comes in. We don't even know her name. Verse 7, a woman came up to him with that alabaster flask. The alabaster flask is, is expensive in itself. It is a, it's a container that is able to hold this strong perfume. The expensive ointment is there, the ointment that, was a, that would be applied. And when you had this expensive ointment, which had a strong, strong odor, it was able to fill the room. Those of you that if you had come into church today at 8 o'clock this morning, you would have felt all, you would have smelt the lilies before you saw them. It filled this room up. We had to open up the doors and kind of air it out a little bit for those of you that had trouble with pollen. But it is amazing, the odor that this thing had. And she just didn't come and say, here, here's my flask. This woman did something that was unorthodox. Look at what the Bible says in verse 7. She comes with this alabaster flask of expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head. Jesus is there eating at the table, and they didn't have the high tables with the high chairs like I have at my house. You know, they didn't have fancy stools. They were actually had low-lying tables, and it's hard for me to imagine getting down there because it's hard to get back up now. But he's lying down there, possibly on an elbow. You know, this is how they did the Last Supper in the upper room as well. Um, it is not typically with the chairs. So Jesus is reclining there, and this was the culture of that time. And when, when she comes over, Jesus is kind of down on the ground on one of the, um, you know, the mats that they have that set it up very nicely. And, and so she's tall. I mean, she's standing kind of over him, and she takes this flask, and she opens it up, and she does something so unthinkable, so unimaginable. I don't need to read it again. It's hard to believe that it happened. She poured it on his head. Now, I know I have, I don't like anybody to put anything on my head. <laughs> Looks like a runway now. But Jesus was there on the ground, and he doesn't fight back. This gal does it, and it's very expensive. He knows what's going on. He can feel it on his head. But I can tell you, he could smell it before it got to his head. The people in the room, the disciples, are paralyzed. What's going on? Something is happening. I'll explain it to you in just a moment. But the disciples see something that's happening. That's the first point. And oftentimes in our life, there is something that triggers something else. And the first point is to take notice that there was an action. And God ordained this action. It was, a, it was actually a beautiful thing, and I'll get to. Point number two, though, is with this action happening, then we have in verses 8 and 9 a reaction. Let me read them to you, and you'll hear the reaction again. And when the disciples saw the action, they, they were indignant. Okay, their attitude changes. They're no longer happy. They're no longer satisfied with the nice meal. You know, now they're probably going to complain that the uh, bread was cooked too much or everything else. They're indignant. 
It's so sad when people get that way. And they ask a question. Why the waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Someone responded with earthly eyes to what had happened. They're looking at what the woman did by pouring this on Jesus' head. And the reaction is that it is a bad thing. It's almost like turning on the TV and finding a commentator say, that was bad, that was bad. I remember as a, you know, watching the, the former president was at a church holding up a Bible one time, and I couldn't get over how many people were saying how bad it was for him to hold up a Bible. I was scratching my head saying, well, it might have been a photo op and all that, but it's always good to be able to have the Bible out there. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the words that are in that book. Maybe by holding it, he'll pay attention to it a little bit more. Maybe all of us would. But boy, the grief that came up. It was a similar indignant reaction that people had. And secular, secular reactions are tainted, often soliciting other souls to embrace their personal narratives by using what I call a propaganda. And they sold it as a noble cause. Now, let me explain it to you like this. The disciples are watching what's happening. They are all excited that they're finally in the big city of Jerusalem instead of walking around in the wilderness. And they're having to just live off of everybody else's kindness. Now, of these disciples, they did have a little bit of money. Apparently, they did collect some offerings because Judas was the treasurer. He kept the money. Okay, so the disciples had a little bit. They were able to buy food if they needed. You know, Jesus could do many more miracles, and maybe he did. We know he fed 5,000 here and 4,000 there, so he could take care of people. But Mary, and, and, Mary and, and, and Martha, when he came to Bethany, they were the ones feeding him. They were the ones helping to take care of the daily needs. It was a beautiful thing. But while they're at Simon's house, this thing happens, and the disciples, we don't know which one, but one of them looks at it and has a different narrative. One has a spin. They look at this, and immediately you see this testimony. What a waste! Before you get mad at him, when was the last time you did that? You saw something, and you didn't like it. And you responded. Lickety-split. And you critiqued and you judged. And the weird thing about it, it wasn't just inside of that person's head. Because it came out of his mouth. And as it came out of his mouth, guess what happened to the others? It came out of their mouths too because the lie had been bought. Now, pastor, it wasn't a lie. It was a big waste, wasn't it? What a trick question. What makes something a waste? Well, remember, the thought police and the think tank people are going to say, hey, this ointment is expensive. That means it equals dollar signs. Or if you go back in that day, it equals denarii. Or it equals shillings. It equals money. And the guys, the disciples are saying, money, money, money. Ah, I see the stock market just went up, up, up. We had somebody bring an offering today that was worth a thousand bucks. Wouldn't it be great if somebody put that in the offering box tonight? Ten thousand bucks. And I would say, what a wait. No, I wouldn't. Now you're starting to understand. The propaganda machine was already on. How many disciples were there saying, this was beautiful? How many disciples were saying, isn't she a sweet woman? How many of the disciples were saying, 
boy, it smells great in here. If you look at the text, you can see these people who have spent time with Jesus. These people who have seen the miracles like crazy. These people that have, that have seen Lazarus come out of the grave. And they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, what's wrong with you? Why don't you stop this woman? She's wasting all of that wealth. The propaganda machine is powerful. And one of the points I want to make here is, I wished it was somebody that was secular starting I wish it wouldn't have been somebody in the inner circle of the disciples. Because it reminds me of how easy it is for any of us to fall into that trap. To judge, to be critical, to be difficult. To buy into a different agenda. And when you think about that for a moment, it is a little scary to react. That's why I have always taught my kids to act and not react. Because reactions will always put you into more trouble. Oftentimes, if you react, you're going to actually have another problem that you're going to have to react to. It's like telling a lie, that if you tell a lie here, then you've got to remember to not lie about the lie you just made. And you create a problem after another problem after another problem. It's like dropping a pebble in the, in the calm waters. Ripple, 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 ripple. I want to tell you that reaction is a dangerous thing, and I just want to nail that point. Now, there is a transaction that takes place. In fact, there's more than one. And this is where I want you to be encouraged as we come to the Lord's table. There's two transactions. The first transaction is understood only because Jesus helps us. If Jesus wouldn't have stepped up and said, let me tell you something more, you would be left joining in with them, saying, what a waste. You might not have been as indignant, but you would have said, man, it would have been dumb to spend your money on that. It's gone. We could have sold it in the marketplace and we could have had so much more money. It's so easy for us to fall into that trap. The two transactions that you need to see that come out of this action that had reaction of propaganda where they sold it as a noble cause. You see, the noble cause was that we're not going to waste. We're going to be good stewards. We're not going to risk anything. And if I took, it, took you to Jesus' teaching about the, the, the talents um, uh, and the stewardship, they said, if you take what you have and you bury it and you don't use it, guess what happens? It'll be taken from you and give it to the one who does. We're not supposed to be neutered or neutralized. We're supposed to be able to take what God gives us and use it and not be hindered by the fear that's around us. Oh, ye of little faith. Now, let's look at the two transactions. I have it for you listed there. I want to read them for you in verses uh, the 10 through 13, there are two of them here in verse 10. But Jesus, aware of all the propaganda, aware of all the spin, aware of all the, think, uh, the, the thought police that are governing what's going on, he says to the disciples, why are you troubling this woman? And, and you can tell he's not indignant. He's, he's calm, controlled, he's winsome. Jesus is the one smelling like a rose, maybe literally. And there he is. He looks at the, at the guys and he says, why are you troubling this woman? It's like Jesus finally speaks a word of reality. Hey, guys. She's, she's a nice lady. Do you see what's going on, guys? And then he goes on to say, for she has done a beautiful thing to me. Boy, that is in direct contradiction. You have one channel saying that this is a waste and another channel saying it's beautiful. Who are you going to believe? 
Well, there is a tendency for some of us to say, well, they might mean right and they might mean right, so maybe it's meeting in the middle. Maybe we can just say, well, it's only a partial waste because it was kind of nice. Do you see what I'm saying? How many of you think that you can contradict Jesus? If you start going down that path, let me grab you and pull you back. No, the, the irony is that the propaganda machine had already been released. It was already pumping out flyers. It had already been like a tweet that it sent out to everywhere. And now Jesus says, time out. You guys, you're not seeing things with the helicopter view of faith. And he says, let me show you what really is going on here. And he says, it's beautiful. And then the next verse tells us how beautiful it is. If you see in verse uh, 11, for you always have the poor with you. Bingo, Jesus is already saying about money, you guys are too money conscious. He says, yes, there's a lot of people that don't have much money around you. There's a lot of people that are poor around you. He says, but you will not always have me. You see, now he's trying to show them the right paradigm. He's trying to move them away from the wrong propaganda and say Jesus is the focal point. He says, you guys are looking at money when you should be looking at me. He says, you will not always have me. And in verse 12, he says, I'm pouring this ointment over on my body. And now Jesus says, let me show you the great transaction. This lady took this expensive stuff and she poured it on me. She has done it for a reason. She has done something that is beautiful. She has done something that is amazing. It's a great transaction. Because what's really going on is you find this woman who loves the Savior. And when she sees the Savior, her response is, what can I give him? He's already given me everything. She already knows Romans 12, 1 and 2 before it was even written by Paul. I, I want to give my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is my reasonable service. I don't want to be conformed to this world, but I want to be transformed. And this transaction is proof that she was willing to give her all like the widow who gave her might. She sees Jesus and there's no hesitation. This isn't an offering sermon. But if you want to give extra, that's okay. She sees Jesus and just wants to honor him. Now, ironically, Jesus uses the word burial in this text. Who else is thinking about graves? Nobody. But Jesus has his eye on Calvary. Jesus has his focus right there. And he says, this gal doing this right now is putting on a a, a smell over me that won't go away before Calvary's cross. And it won't go away during the three days in the tomb. He is, she is already telling you that the great transaction is, is that Jesus loved her and she in return loved him. What kind of love is that? It's so beautiful to love Jesus. In fact, the Ten Commandments summarized. Jesus told us, love the Lord thy God with, help me out, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your alabaster stuff. If you understand what I'm saying, it's a beautiful transaction. But there is one more transaction that's taking place in this text. Because after Jesus 
tries to, to thwart the propaganda, to bring the guys back to earth, and to not have them just do all this double talk, that they are trying to be the most righteous and the most good stewards of everything, and they're not going to spend any of this money. They would never waste their life away like that. And Jesus has just told them, you missed the boat. And then there's one. His name is Judas. And the great transaction there was Judas couldn't let go of his propaganda. He was so concerned for money. Just like the New Testament says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. <sighs> Judas was the money keeper. He loved to be able to almost like Scrooge Duck. I, I still like some of the old Disney stuff. You know, and, and there he had his money and he understood about wealth. And so he wanted to hang on to wealth. He wanted to control wealth. He wanted to make sure that wealth was, was not an, an obstacle for him. He was so focused on wealth. And he says, what will you give me? I'm sick of this Jesus character because he is screwed up. He doesn't prioritize right. He probably was thinking other jerky terms for Jesus. He had just been, he's going to spend the room in the upper room in just a matter of hours when they're going to have communion together just like we will. But he runs to the Pharisees and he says, what transaction will you make? I'll turn him over to you and you can do with him what you want. Do you see the great transaction? I mean, the one gives everything she has and the other one is willing to take because he wants to get rid of it. Wow. 30 pieces of silver. The price of a slave. And that's the great transaction. As we get ready for the Lord's table now, I want to challenge you with this. We are not wise to be deceived. Watch out for all the noble causes that you hear in this culture. Be careful, little eyes, what you look at. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. And be careful, little feet, where you run. For there's a father up above looking down in tender love. Oh, be careful, you saints and children of God. There are wolves going about in sheep's clothing. As I told you, this would have been so much easier to preach if the secular people would have been the ones spinning it all. If the ones who were saying that the false narratives, if they were not the ones who were inside Jesus' camp. But they were. And as we come to this week with Palm Sunday and our countdown to Calvary on Good Friday, my challenge for all of us today is to be awake. As he says in Romans chapter 13, be awake. Don't close your eyes. Don't fall for everybody's propaganda. Don't go for the doublespeak. Don't go for the fake news. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for somebody that sows to the flesh and has their alternatives will reap accordingly. But those who reap to the, who sowed to the Spirit will reap life everlasting. You guys came in today with the palm fronds. <laughs> I was wondering if, if some of you would refuse to wave one. Let me grab one here. Mine's kind of old and flimsy now. Now, when I was waving this, I was an adult waving this, and this is only for kids. Right? Only kids will do that kind of stuff. We're adults. We're in church. Why would we ever want to do this? It's just a waste of time and the arthritis in my wrist hurts. Now, what I'm trying to show is, do you see how quickly and easily you can fall into a judgmental spirit? 
So easily you can become uh, one of these same disciples that has an indignant spirit. Because you're missing the gospel. We have Jesus. He's here. Now the Catholic Church would say he's here and there. That's after we do the transubstantiation. We don't believe that. Scripture does not say that Jesus has to be put to death again. He does not have to be placed on another altar. He died once, the just for the unjust. You've heard it before. The cross is empty. But when we come here, we know that the risen Christ, his spirit is here. It is not in the elements, and it's not just surrounding the elements, but he's in this place where two or three are gathered. Jesus is here. And when we all are, are waving these things, we like little children should be saying, Hosanna, blessed is Jesus. And instead, Hosanna, blessed is he. You know what I'm talking about. Why are we ashamed? Why are we afraid to stand up for Jesus? Is it that you really don't believe that Jesus is here? Or do you feel that Jesus is on vacation? Jesus told the disciples right there, you guys, I'm about to die for you. I'm going to show love that's never been seen before. I'm going to lay down my life for you guys. I pray that when you come through this week of passion, when Good Friday comes, don't just get up and say, oh, it's great weather, it's going to be 70 degrees. One of the main reasons we're showing the passion movie from four to six is to make you go, eh. It's not pleasant to see what Jesus went through. He was despised and rejected. He was acquainted with grief. And we hid. We wouldn't watch the movie as if it were our faces from him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we still didn't esteem him. We didn't say, oh great, look at what he's doing for me. He's doing that for me. No, we say, I hope they don't do it to me too. When you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be like this no-named woman. You're going to realize Jesus loves me. And you can say those words right now. Jesus loves me. This table that's before us, if the elders would come forward and the music people come on up, I do want to be able to challenge you that the love of Christ was demonstrated on Calvary's cross. I've been trying to drive this home like a drumbeat. Week one, week two, week three, week four. I don't know if you've got it yet. Maybe we're just out of rhythm. Man, this ought to be the best time of our lives. We've got life and we've got forgiveness. What more do you need? Why do other people have to get so worried about wasting this or wasting that or saying that or saying that? We have Jesus with us. If you guys would come forward, I'm going to lead us in prayer now. Our Heavenly Father, I do ask that as we have heard the word proclaimed, as we've seen the transactions that took place, Lord, it is pretty amazing that this gal, that we don't even know her name, we don't even know how she realized that it was important to come over, but Lord, she, she had, with the eyes of faith, recognized Jesus as her Savior. Lord, I am so amazed that when she trusted in Christ that she didn't have to hang on to the things of this earth, 
She didn't have to have the nice this or the nice that. Most likely this gal was not from a bad part of town. She was probably not wearing red. She was probably not known for being uh, a bad part of town or, or, or for bad activities that we can't talk about in church. She was probably with this alabaster box, fairly wealthy. But she was of the richest people on earth because she knew who Jesus was. And she anointed him maybe with an awareness that the Son of Man was going to be cut off from the land of the living. Maybe she knew that he was the Lamb of God that could only take away the sins of the world by dying for her. He was the Yom Kippur. On the Day of Atonement, Jesus was going to make an atonement for sin, for hers. Lord, I pray that you will give us that same kind of joy in wanting to come to Jesus and to be able to spend time with Jesus and to give Jesus what we have, whether it's symbolic as, as she did with, with the ointment or whether it's with our whole bodies, as Paul says to do as a living sacrifice. I pray that we'll bring the sacrifice of praise for we are the children of God and we can say, Hosanna, blessed is that son of David who rules and reigns in our hearts. Lord, I pray that as we come to the Lord's table now, that we will have our hearts ready, that as the scripture said, that we'll have the clean hands and the pure heart, not because we are clean or because our hearts are pure, but because we are in Christ who did have clean hands and a pure heart.